G'day folks, welcome to episode 100 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So this week, for what is going to be the last episode of 2020 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast, and just happens to also be episode 100, we're going to start off with our usual roundup of vulnerabilities that have been fixed by the Ubuntu Security team in the past week. And then I thought uh, something interesting to do in kind of, I guess, security community news is we would look back over uh, the year, kind of look at what perhaps the topmost uh, featured packages have been through this podcast, what are you know the things that get the most updates by the security team, as well as some of the more high-profile vulnerabilities. And then we've got a couple other things to talk about as well in uh, security community news to round out the year. Uh, but yeah, first, let's just get straight into it. And uh, this week, there were 21 unique CVEs that were addressed by the team. First up, uh, we had an update for the Linux kernel. Uh, this was covering 10 different CVEs across uh, some of our older releases. So uh, 1404 extended security maintenance, 1604 long-term support, and 1804 long-term support. Uh, as I say, 10 different CVEs were rolled into this by the kernel team. Uh, in particular, I talked about most of these last week in episode 99. So if you want to know more about that, uh, go check out last week's episode. Uh, this one did include uh, the uh, PowerPC speculative execution vulnerability that I talked about last week. Uh, so yeah, after that, we had an update for Snapcraft. So this is the utility that is used to build snaps. It kind of um, knows how to, I guess, use these different recipes to compile snaps and turn them into you know, snap packages that then you can upload to the snap store and distribute unfortunately uh, it was reported to us via launchpad by itzen uh, that uh, it contained a vulnerability where it would generate uh, the ld library path that would get used when executing the snap uh, would have an empty element inside it essentially what would happen is it would try to concatenate together a few different things to build up uh, the ld library path to make sure that you know, when your snap is run it knows to look for libraries that are internal to the snap itself only and obviously not look outside the system because it can't you know snaps are isolated and sandboxed via AppArmor and other various technologies. Uh, so it's important that the LD library path is correct so it knows where to find the various libraries. But unfortunately, if there is an empty element in that, uh, when that goes, that is when that is executed, uh, that then essentially is interpreted as the current working directory. So that means that any other snap or other application that could drop a malicious library, say into your home directory, which is often the current working directory when uh, most applications are launched, uh, then that would get included into the snap uh, as runtime, or would be included when the uh, application is executed. And so you could go and get code execution in the context of any particular snap that happened uh, to be able to read that library. Uh, snaps have various interfaces we've talked about this before uh, on the podcast in particular one of them is the home interface and so that is often automatically connected um, or that is automatically connected should I say as an interface but it's often uh, you know almost all snaps use that so that you can easily access files in your home directory uh, when you're running a particular snap and so that then means it's very easy to potentially drop say a malicious libc into your home directory and then get code execution as any particular snap so uh, this has been fixed in Snapcraft itself. What that means is that various Snap publishers just need to simply rebuild their Snaps with Snapcraft as they usually do, uh, republish those, and you know, as part of the automatic Snap refresh process, you will get all your Snaps uh, refreshed and fixed for this. Uh, but we're also looking at probably trying to put a fix as well into SnapD itself so that when it goes to launch a given Snap, it uh, you know, and makes sure that there are no potentially empty elements there unless they are you know, particularly uh, added that way by the Snap. Because 
because obviously snaps may want to potentially include that in their LD library path. You know, it's not um, it's not necessarily wrong to do that, but it uh, can have particular security implications if you particularly if you didn't mean to do it as it was in the case here. So just want to do a shout out to uh, Sergio from the Snapcraft team for working with us on that one. So thanks very much for helping uh, get that one out the door. Uh, after that, we had an update for the X server. Again, I talked about this in last week's episode, uh, but this is for our extended security maintenance customers, in particular for 1404 extended security maintenance. So uh, you are now a little safer for two different vulnerabilities that were fixed there. Uh, we had a high profile vulnerability fixed in OpenSSL. So this is for all of the uh, supported releases. So that's uh, 1604 long-term support, 1804 long-term support, 2004 long-term support, and uh, the current interim release, the Groovy Gorilla 20.10. In this case, it was a null pointer reference that could uh, be triggered when comparing two different general names uh, within certificates and the like, uh, in particular when they both had an EDI party name in them. Uh, and so if an attacker can cause this to happen, they can cause a crash. Now, uh, if you can you know, crash the application that's uh, linked to OpenSSL, that's using OpenSSL for these uh, certificate checks, uh, you can cause a denial of service against it, obviously. And so how can attack an attacker do this? Uh, in particular, these elements get, um, get compared when you're you know, checking certificates and uh, a certificate revocation list. And so if the attacker can obviously control the certificate, so you, know, you, you connect to a, a website and the attacker provides a malicious uh, certificate as part of that, they can obviously control that certificate but within the certificate can also be lists of certificate revocation lists that should that certificate should be checked against. And so they can then make you also fetch, um, depending on the application, uh, a potentially malicious certificate revocation list as well, and therefore cause your OpenSSL to crash. Uh, so that has been fixed for all those releases. After that, we had an update for GDK PixBuff. Uh, this is a GNOME-based library for handling various image data. Uh, one CVE that was fixed for uh, the 2004 long-term support and the 20.10 releases, so the more recent ones. Uh, this functionality isn't present in uh, previous releases. So that's why we didn't fix it there because there was no vulnerability for earlier versions. Uh, and in this case, the vulnerability was that there was uh, an infinite loop that could be triggered uh, when handling crafted uh, LZW compression codes in GIFs or GIFs, depending on how you want to pronounce that. Again, you could trigger therefore a denial of service uh, you know, by hanging the application. Next up, we had an apt daemon vulnerability that was fixed for the 1604, 1804, 2004 long-term support releases respectively and 20.10. Two different vulnerabilities were rolled into this one. Uh, two, sorry, two different CVEs were rolled into this fix. Uh, these were both reported by Kevin Backhouse from uh, the GitHub security team. So thank you very much, Kevin, for reporting these via Launchpad. Uh, in particular, this was around uh, apt daemon's use of um, its dbus API. And so AppDemon provides this DBus API. It's used by things like um, PackageKit or the Software Center and the like to be able to install uh, DEBs. So if you were to say um, download, uh, say perhaps if you're installing something like Steam or Skype, where you might go and download a DEB from that from the web, and then you want to install that, you'll double click that, and it will pop up say then the Software Center to install that for you. The software center then effectively hands off to AppDemon to do that uh, in the background because AppDemon is running as root. So it has the privileges to install DEBs. It does this, as I said, via DBus with this install file method. And so uh, obviously you want to make sure that only privileged users can do that. And so there is a policy kit policy, policy to make sure that you know you need to authenticate as a privileged user before you can install that. And AppDemon does that uh, for you. How 
However, that check only occurs after it's gone and passed the deb. So you've got a thing running as root, uh, you can give it an untrusted deb uh, and it will parse it before it's even authenticated that you have the rights to be able to install that. So you can essentially get it to you know, do various checks on it. If there are vulnerabilities in that parsing code, you can then trigger those and potentially get code execution as root running in the context of AppDemon. Uh, there was one particular vulnerability that was fixed in this. Uh, there was an integer overflow that could be triggered, as well as this kind of policy kit issue where we needed to move that policy kit check earlier to make sure that you know, we didn't start parsing this deb until we knew that you actually had potentially rights to install it. So they were both fixed for AppDemon. And finally, we had an update for curl. So this was four different CVEs rolled into here uh, for the 16.04, 18.04, 20.04 long-term support releases and 20.10. Uh, as I say, four different things. There was a memory leak in handling of FTP wildcard matchings. You could use that to trigger a denial of service. Uh, there was failure to properly validate OCSP responses, uh, incorrect handling of the connect only option. So this could end up uh, having your curl application or your application linked against libcurl connecting to the wrong host. So you could potentially leak uh, credentials or something like that if you're needing to do authentication because they get sent to the wrong, the wrong host. And finally, uh, there was incorrect handling of FTP uh, passive responses. And so part of the FTP protocol is that uh, you go to connect to FTP server and it can respond uh, with this passive response to say, actually, you know, instead of reaching me here, go and reach me over there at this uh, IP address and port number. And so obviously that can then get you to redirect to connect to somewhere else. Uh, and this is necess uh, not necessarily a good thing. You can use that to essentially reflect someone back to another host. You could use that to um, potentially get them to say, do port scanning on your behalf or, or other kinds of things. Uh, and so, yeah, that has been fixed to make sure it doesn't actually honor that because FTP is not an authenticated process uh, pro protocol. You know, you could be uh, redirected anywhere. So that has been fixed for curl as well. And that takes us to the end of this week in security updates. Uh, so if, looking at security community news, I thought it would be interesting to, as, as this is the last episode of the podcast for this year, to have a look back over the year and in particular tease out some of the details. So I thought first uh, would be interesting to look at some of the most featured packages that we've had in the podcast. Um, I know people would have recognized in uh, previous years, GhostScript was one that came up a lot, but that did not feature uh, this time. Uh, GhostScript, I guess, has been sufficiently hardened over the years and we don't really see that feature anymore. What I have talked about a lot are Linux kernel updates. And in particular, I want to take the time here to shout out to uh, the Ubuntu kernel team at Canonical for uh, doing a lot of this. So every three weeks, we get new kernels released that roll in um, a lot of different fixes. In particular, they usually include backports of all the different fixes gone into the various stable kernel trees, as well as different vulnerability fixes. And so, yeah, 81 times I've talked about the uh, different kernel updates on this podcast during this year. So that features right at the top. The next one was Firefox. And again, this is kind of interesting uh, because a lot of this obviously is done upstream by Firefox. We don't um, take the usual approach that we do for a lot of packages in Ubuntu and backport fixes to Firefox. We actually just release the latest upstream versions of Firefox to our supported releases. And this is now uh, handled by the desktop team. So shout out to them as well for doing a lot of the heavy lifting on this. Um, but yeah, we've talked about Firefox 16 different times over the years. So 16 different Firefox releases have been done this year with security updates in them. Um, after that was PHP. PHP, we don't do uh, you know the latest versions of that. We do backport fixes for that. Uh, there was Thunderbird. So again, that's similar to Firefox. Uh, Samba and NSS, I guess they um, you know, do feature quite heavily. Django. 
WebKit GTK as well. Again, that is one that we do actually um, bring forward the latest releases and release those. So there are certain packages that we you know, we don't backport fixes for. We actually do the latest upstream releases because um, they don't easily provide, uh, I guess, security fixes as an easy way to backport. WebKit GTK is one of those. And uh, rounding up the list, we had Tomcat, Squid, QMU, uh, Open LDAP, MySQL, uh, ClamAV. Again, that's another one that we do um, release the latest upstream versions for and backport those. Uh, the X server, SQLite, Python, uh, PPP daemon, uh, OpenSSL, and OpenJDK. I guess what's interesting yeah, about this list to me is there are, there's a real spread of things there from both desktop packages to server packages and the like, um, but obviously a lot of stuff that keeps the team very busy. Uh, in the show notes, I actually have counts for how often these have appeared if you want to go and have a look. And this is the kind of thing I guess you can easily tease out from, you know, if you go, to go back and look at the show notes yourselves and like count them up, you could do that. But yeah, so that's uh, the top 20 most featured packages for the year 2020 in the podcast. Uh, and looking at some of the more high-profile vulnerabilities. So the ones that I remember, uh, I guess in particular, we had another round of Intel um, vulnerability fixes this year. Uh, this time it wasn't so much speculative execution attacks, but the most recent one of these was around um, power measurements. This was the platypus attack. So that was where um, an attacker could sample the CPU's power usage over time and actually use that as a side channel to infer private keys. So some very cool research that was done there and that was fixed uh, in particular through an update to actually to the Linux kernel to make sure that that was only available to privileged processors. We talked about that back in episode 96. Uh, Similarly, Intel uh, released an advisory for the bleeding tooth vulnerability against uh, Blue Z. We talked about that back in episode 93. Also in that episode, uh, so some of the more recent ones here, was a free type uh, vulnerability. And this one, I guess, was most interesting because uh, Google were reporting that it was being actively exploited in the wild at the time. And so that was one, uh, as a security team, we jumped on quite quickly and made sure that we had patched. I think that was within 24 hours of the vulnerability uh, being publicly known, being publicly known that it was being exploited in the wild. We had those updates out. And finally, the other big one for this year was the boot hole attack against Grub. And so uh, I wanted to mention this one in particular because our own Chris Coulson uh, recently uh, did a, a webinar with uh, Daniel Keeper from Oracle and Jesse Michael from Eclipsium. Uh, and they, the three of them talked about this as part of the Ubuntu Masters uh, conference. And so I've got a link to that in the show notes, but um, it's a really great discussion where uh, between the three of them, they kind of cover various aspects. So as Eclipsium were the ones that discovered this original vulnerability, Jesse goes into details around how Secure Boot works and how Grub and Shim and things fit into that process and kind of how the um, upstream coordination worked for some of that. Daniel then goes into talking a bit more about how um, how that coordination worked in particular, the use of things like uh, encrypted email and uh, Keybase and other tools for coordination of that and the various sorts of um, other fixes that had to be rolled into Grub. And Chris goes and talks about, uh, from the distribution point of view, about, I guess, how uh, we helped um, find some of these vulnerabilities with Coverity and uh, manual inspection of code and how some of the code signing um, practices work, 
particularly in Ubuntu, to make sure that we can do things like rotate keys and the like without having to revoke a heap of different shim signatures. And so if this is something that you've wanted to know more about, uh, we did cover it back in episode 84, but uh, the three of them go into a lot more detail than I did back in that, that discussion. And so, yeah, it's a really great um, thing. It's, uh, I've got a link in the show notes if you want to go and check it out. It's about an hour long. And it's a great discussion of that vulnerability, how, the, as I say, how the coordination worked within uh, the Linux distribution security communities and between Microsoft and other players as well. And obviously the details of Secure Boot and other bits there too. So yeah, if you want to know more about that, I urge you to go and check that one out as well. And finally, in security community news, uh, I just wanted to mention again, we are hiring. We've got three open positions at the moment, uh, an AppArmor security engineer. So if you have worked on AppArmor in the past and you would love to do it as uh, a canonical employee and get to work on uh, you know, one of these great security technologies for your job, we would urge you to apply for that. We also have a director position open for the security team. So if you want to come and lead our team, we would love to have you. And we also have a manager position as well. So within uh, working with the director. So all of those, I've got links in the show notes. And if any of those sound interesting to you, I would urge you to apply. Okay, so that takes us to the end of this week's episode and the last episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast for 2020. Uh, we will be back with you next year, uh, probably early or mid-January, I expect. Uh, I'll be back on deck and we'll uh, try to cover what all the security news that has gone down over uh, the break. Uh, until then, if you want to get in contact with the team, as always, you can reach us at security.ubuntu.com. You can come and jump into the Ubuntu Harden channel on chat.freenode.net, the IRC uh, network. You can also uh, create a topic on discourse.ubuntu.com if you want to get a bit more community engagement. And finally, we are at Ubuntu underscore sec on Twitter if you want to find us there. So thanks everyone for listening again for another week and listening for the year. Uh, it's been great hearing all your feedback across the year and uh, I guess bringing the show to you. I look forward to doing it all again for you next year. And remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I will speak to you in 2021. Bye.